All right, Genesis chapter 40. Well, um, before I jump into the message, let's, let's pray one more time. Just ask that God would speak to us through his word this morning. Father, we do thank you again for this day, for who you are. We thank you for your word that we have in front of us here today. And God, uh, we pray that you would not only teach us the information of your word, but that we would be able to know how to apply it to our lives. Lord, that you would teach it to our hearts as well. That we would uh, bring this in and understand you more through it. This book of Genesis, this book of beginnings has been given to us by you so that we would know you better. And so I pray, Lord, that today every one of us who hears your word would know you better and be closer to you than when we came in this morning. And so we just pray that that would take place by your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, um, as we've been going through this, this story about Joseph, we've gotten to, to Joseph, um, the life of Joseph. And last week, there for a moment, you might have thought, oh, good. We finally got to the end of the hard things for Joseph. Because the week before that, we had looked at some of the terrible things he had gone through in his life. Things like being sold into slavery by his own brother, <laughs> brothers, multiple brothers, right? Um, after struggling with just a dysfunctional family that he had been raised up in. But after that happened, what we saw was that he was sold into slavery, yes, but he landed in a, a pretty well-to-do household um, of an Egyptian official. And things went well for him. Admittedly, he was a slave, but he was a slave that had different opportunities given to him, and he continued to be promoted up through the household. It was a large estate um, that he, he ultimately became the overseer of this entire household. And now, he could have just lived the rest of his life right there, like that working for somebody else, but still having a, a relatively good life of, of peace and some amount of prosperity in his life. But that wasn't meant to be. And as we saw last week, he, he gets promoted in the house. He establishes himself. Things are going well. Everything he touches, God is blessing. It seems like everything's good. And kind of, you, you breathe a little sigh of relief for Joseph, like, oh, finally, it turned out okay for the poor kid, you know? But what we saw was that's not how it was going to be because unfortunately, he was falsely accused of attempted rape and thrown into prison. And so right when you thought things were going to be okay for him, now he's in a deeper place of despair and less freedom in his life. But prison wasn't the ultimate end for Joseph. Now, it couldn't be in ancient Egypt um, Prison was a holding place in, in this time period. It was a holding place until a decision was made. So either death, <laughs> that's one way out of prison, um, or punishment and release, or restoration. So Joseph knew as he's in prison, I've only got three options at this point. Either they're just going to kill me and it's going to all be over, or they're going to punish me in some way and then release me, or I'm going to actually be restored. Now, I'm not saying that the prison, prison system of Egypt was like better than ours and swift because we know, as we know, Joseph spent at least a minimum of two, probably three years in prison. So it wasn't necessarily swift, but it wasn't a life sentence either. Joseph knew something's going to happen beyond this. 
Not sure what it is, but something is going to happen. And as I said, he probably spent between three and eight years in prison. The only hard dates that we have from the text is we know that he was sold into slavery at 17 years old. And we know that he got out of prison at 30 years old. All right? So there's a gap there. Um, and it probably took him a little while to get established in Potiphar's house. Maybe two, three, four years. Um, and then as we're going to see, this story while he's in prison kind of stretches out too. So that's about how long he was there. And in these two chapters that we're going to look at here today, we're going to see that even though he's in prison, God is still at work in Joseph's life while he is there in prison. And God was orchestrating things on a bigger level than Joseph would ever even understand, working um, toward the covenant promises that he had made back to the family of Abraham. All right? And that's God's method. The way God tends to work in people's lives is that while we're walking with God, we're being transformed and we're being used as part of something bigger than what we even understand. That's an important thing to realize as a Christian. We're such an individualistic society and on top of that as humans, we're naturally very selfish. (laughs) So it's really hard for us to see anything beyond ourselves. We tend to think we are the center of the universe. Of course we are. Everything we experience comes through us. Uh, And we think of our history and what we know and what we've learned and what we've seen and what we've been a part of. But what we see is that God does kingdom work with ordinary people. Work that is beyond what we even understand. And when we give ourselves entirely to him, we can expect that our lives will be fruitful. It's not just, you're not saved just for yourself, to enjoy yourself. You're also saved to be put to work for God in amazing ways. Now, I don't know if Joseph knew all that or not, but he proved, as we're going to see, to be faithful to God either way. All right, so let's read the first four verses of Genesis chapter 40. It says this, sometime after this, while he's been in prison here, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt, and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh, that's the name of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. Now, what was the offense of the, these are royal positions, guys, the royal cupbearer and the royal baker. All right, Um, that's part of the, the, the way that things were laid out there in ancient Egypt. What was it that they did um, to, to find themselves in prison? Did they serve steak instead of seafood one night, you know? Um, or was it something major, like did they try to poison the pharaoh, overthrow the government? We don't know. Somewhere between there, um, in these, these different offenses, something happened serious enough, at least in Pharaoh's mind, to say, I'm throwing these guys into jail until I can figure out what to do with them, okay? Now, I want you to notice here in verse 4 that it was the captain of the guard who appointed Joseph to attend to them. Do you remember who the captain of the guard was from last week? Potiphar. Now that's kind of interesting. Potiphar, the guy who 
he had been sold into slavery to, whose wife accused him of rape, all that. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, all right? Now, last week we learned it was the keeper of the prison, not Potiphar, that had promoted Joseph and, and, and uh, put him over uh, the, the rest of the people in the prison. But now Potiphar is the one who affirms that promotion. Now, you, you have to recognize what's going on here. When we th- read the Bible, sometimes we just think that everything's just happening right after another, right after another. It's all sequential. It's all like bang, 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 bang. This all took place. But as you see there, um, at, very, at the very beginning in verse 1, it says, sometime after this. We don't know how much time that was. Was that six months? Was that six years? We don't really know. There was some period of time where this took place. So maybe what happened, and this is just a speculation here, maybe Potiphar's wife, um, after time has passed here, Potiphar's wife got into trouble with somebody else. And Potiphar realized, hmm, maybe that Joseph guy wasn't really the one behind all this. Um, Maybe this is what's going on. There's some other things happening here. Maybe I shouldn't have blamed him. But still, he hadn't decided what to do yet with Joseph, and he recognized that Joseph was a capable servant. So what it appears here from the text is that Potiphar is the one that says, I'm going to give you leadership roles here. He's, maybe he's forgiven Joseph, whatever, but he's given him leadership roles here in prison. All right, and in verse 5, it says this. And one night, they both, the, the cupbearer and the baker, they both dreamed, oh, it tells you that, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also, I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked goods, baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you okay three or two very different interpretations here right very different now we've seen in earlier sections 
that the Lord was with Joseph. It said that multiple times in this story of Joseph, that the Lord was with him. The Lord blessed it. The Lord caused it to succeed. The Lord is with Joseph. We, we know that. All right? But up until this point, it seems like those different things that Joseph was doing and seeing the hand of God in his life, they were all natural outcomes of his skills and abilities. The things he'd been taught back at home, the, the different skill sets that he'd picked up over time. It seemed it was all natural stuff, all right? And he seems to have been a gifted organizer and administrator, um, and he was valued for his management abilities. But here, what's described is not just clever problem solving. He didn't just say, well, I figure a lot of stuff out. Tell me your dream, and I'll see if I can figure it out. That's not what happens here, Okay. These are clear, supernatural explanations of these dreams. What Joseph is telling them, before he even attempts to say what it means, he tells them interpretations come from God. And you can tell me what you are going to tell me here, and I'm going to get an interpretation from God. Some supernatural understanding here. Now, if you also remember earlier in the story, dreams were part of what got Joseph into trouble in the first place, back with his family. When we first met Joseph, you remember, he, he, he gathers all of his older brothers around him, and he's like, guys, I had this cool dream. We're out in the field working, and I bundle up this bundle of grain, and you guys all do the same, and then mine stands up, and all of yours bows down to me. Remember? And they're like, okay, kid. Like, we've had enough of you. And it talks about how they hated him. And then later he does the same thing with his parents. Oh, I had another dream. Everybody, come in. Mom, dad, I've got to tell you about this. Uh, there's the, the moon and, the, and all this, the, the stars. There's 11 stars, like my 11 brothers. I don't know who they are, the 11 stars. And the sun and the moon, and they all bowed down to me too. And so that was enough to even for the, the favorite son of Jacob, to, for Jacob to say, look, son, this isn't Okay you got to stop this, right? These were some of the issues that he had had problems with. Now, Joseph, though, here, had come to believe, as he said there in verse 8, that interpretations belong to God. And by asking them to tell him their dreams, he's implying that he's ready to hear God's interpretation on their behalf. Which brings us really to an important observation. We can recognize here that Joseph had learned to hear God's voice. At some point in all of this, Joseph had learned to hear God's voice. We know he had a fear of God. We talked about that last week also. Joseph had a fear of God. But now he's hearing God's voice. We recognize that he has a faith in God. All right? He has a fear of God and a faith in God. Because there's a difference between fearing God or believing that there is a God and actually having trust and faith in that God. One is rational. Uh, the other is relational. In the book of James in the New Testament, he, he writes this. He says, you believe that God is one, that there's a God. And you do well, all right? You should believe that there's a God. But even the demons believe and shudder. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying the demons fear God. If that's all you're supposed to do, just believe that there's some God out there, then everything's okay. Uh, no, that's not the way it is. 
There's a difference between simply having a fear of some cosmic being out there. There's a difference between that and actually having a faith in God and and knowing a God and talking to this God and hearing the voice of this God. There's a relationship that's, that's happening here, right? Those are two completely different things. Most people, you might think that the world all around you is full of atheists and agnostics. It's really not. Now, I'm not saying that most people out there are Christians either, but most people believe in some God. A lot of people won't be able to tell you who that God is or if we can even talk to that God or if that God, you know, created earth and left. Most people believe in a God of some sort, but believing in a God and actually having faith in God are two very different things. But somewhere during all of this struggle of life, Joseph came to know God. And those that know God begin to know his voice. All right? His life experience had taught him that this dream business could have serious consequences. So he would have been crazy just to say, eh, you know, dreams, I can probably figure that out for you. Just tell me and I'll give it my best shot. Well, if he was going to do that, don't you think both those dreams would have been interpreted interpreted a, a very similar way? Like, yeah, you'll probably be okay. Three, I wouldn't even have said three days if I was trying to guess, right? Three, that's an important number. Yeah, there's three. And, and you'll probably be good. Things will probably work out for you. No. In, instead, he gives very specific interpretations that says, this means three days, and in three days, you're going to know if I'm a liar or not. And in these three days, you're going to be put, put right back to where you were in this role of an officer in the court of Pharaoh, and you are going to be executed by hanging. I mean, that's pretty specific of what's being described here. Okay? Joseph had a fear of God, but he also had faith in God. Now, before we move on from there, I know that when you hear that kind of stuff, it may cause you to ask the question, well, how is it that I am supposed to hear God's voice? How are we to hear God's voice? Well, I want to describe to you what we learn from Scripture and that hearing God's voice is learned. Okay? I think first off, a lot of people make the mistake and say that's for these super spiritual people that from the time they're born, God just has a mark on them. And, and for some reason, he chooses to speak to them and them alone. And, and that's the only way it works. And all the rest of us normal people, we have to try to figure out which one of those people are real and which one of them are liars. And we can find the ones that are real and listen to them and then we can hear God's voice. Or you might say, well, you know, we have God's voice written in the Bible, in Scripture, and we know that God has spoken to other people in ancient times and ancient places and so we can recognize God's voice there. That's, that is true. That is true. All right? But what I want to argue here is that you... As Christians, if you're a Christian here today, you can learn to hear God's voice. But it is learned. And we start by listening for it. Because that's one of the big jumps that I think a lot of people never make. They assume I'll never be able to hear God's voice, so why would I listen for that? We start by listening. And then the next step is we simply ask God to train us to hear him. Now, I realize that when I'm talking about this, that might make some of you feel a little uncomfortable. Um, I know you might be thinking, okay, that's like weird. You're telling me that I will hear God's voice? That's like psychic stuff, right? That's the card readers and palms and all that weird. That's weird. 
Or for others of you, it's, it, you don't go down the whole mystical path. You're like, that's not psychic, that's psychiatric. <laughs> there's, there's doctors to take care of those issues if you're hearing voices in your hair, head, Pastor Brett. Um, right? There's, you, you may say that's what's going on, but, but here's what I want to argue with you about on that. I believe that's actually how God has created human beings. God has created us to be able to hear his voice. We're designed to sense and experience things in ways that are far beyond the rudimentary touch, taste, sight, smell, sound. Right? Our five basic senses. There is more to a human being than just functional physical traits. Guys, you're not just a glob of molecules that came together by accident. There's something else involved here. You were designed in the image of God. That's something we studied in the book of Genesis. You're designed in the image of God. Now, you might have been programmed to believe that saying that, that you're designed in the image of God, you might just be, oh, that was, you know, for the, the simple-minded people in, in, you know, pre-industrial times that couldn't figure out how we got here, you know. There was no science established yet, and so they just figured, oh, well, if we can't figure it out, we'll just say it was God. But in fact, that's actually the most rational explanation of human existence and the existence of a soul and spirit. Soul is what separates human beings from the rest of the created animal kingdom. We don't have time today to go down all that whole path. All right? I'm just leading you to the edge, and you can fall down that path on your own. All right? but, but today, what I need you to recognize simply is this. God communicates in an understandable way to human beings. All right? He does. God speaks. And most commonly, it's at that soul level. And we've been given various tools to learn to hear his voice. Things like the Bible. We talked about that. Spiritual disciplines like silence and solitude and prayer and fasting. And also supernatural gifts like prophecy and interpretation. But none of the tools are substitutes for the personal relationship with God. That's where this all starts. It all starts with a relationship with God. And as you grow in your relationship with God, you develop a greater sense of hearing his voice. It doesn't mean you become infallible or, you know, mistake-free, that you've got the hotline to God. Like, I've been walking with God for a while. Let me, hold on. I'll tell you the decision in a second. Lord, what do you think about this one? You know, no, that's not, that's not how it works. Um, but you can learn to hear God's voice. And God does still speak today. Now, Let's uh, finish that chapter there in verse 20. It says, so on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that's an interesting little fact thrown in there. It's on his birthday. He's like, let's make some waves. He does. He made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph was hoping that he would get, you know, an executive pardon from Pharaoh. He said, look, 
if you're the cupbearer of Pharaoh, that means you have his ear, literally. You're always walking over to him, giving him something to drink. Anytime he's thirsty, he calls you. You taste it first to make sure it's not poisoned, and then you can pass it on to the king. And you're always interacting with him. You're always talking with him. I'm stuck here in prison. I need out. You can talk to the man who can get me out of this place. And so he says, please, if this comes true, I mean, it's radical that I'm telling you what I'm telling you. If this comes true, don't forget me. And please do me this service. Just tell Pharaoh, hey, we've got this innocent guy in prison. Will you please just do that? That's all he says. But unfortunately, the cupbearer forgets him. Now, how do we understand that? Well, I think we have to believe that God still wasn't done forming Joseph in prison. Uh, Prison was a time for Joseph to develop some traits. We hate that when we end up in those hard places that we don't want to be in. And we don't even like the uncomfortable growth that sometimes has to happen in those places and in those ways. But we have to believe that's what was happening. It would have been discouraging for Joseph, of course, but what else could he do? You're locked up. But in chapter 41, another opportunity arises. Roll right into it with me. 41, verse 1. It says, and after two whole years, okay, two more years in jail, Pharaoh dreamed this time that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed on the, in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. I don't know if you know this, but cows don't eat cows. <laughs> right? That would have been some gross, weird thing happening. Okay, These skinny cows come up and they eat these other cows. All right, it goes on. It says, And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up from after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dreams seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Here's the key components that you got to get out of all that. There were seven healthy cows. There were seven sick cows. There were seven good ears of grain. There were seven bad ears of grain. And when called in before Pharaoh, Joseph was quick to correct him and let him know that it wasn't he that could interpret the dreams. It was God. Which is the very same thing that he had told the cupbearer and the baker, but they'd forgotten that part. Okay? Now, in verse 25, it says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh... Are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So Joseph was quick to explain to Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. This is important, Pharaoh. The, the, the fact that God is revealing this to you, this puts you in a very precarious place, a very important place. You already thought you were important because you're the Pharaoh. Well, you really are, but you need to know there's something coming and it's big and it's going to infect the entire land. He did not take God's glory for himself. You know, I think we could have been tempted in that place to say, all right, this is my chance. If Pharaoh calls me in and wants me to interpret these dreams, I can just tell Pharaoh, I'm a really important person. And I'm glad you brought me in here. Because me, Joseph, I need you to know that 
because I'm so important, you know, I'm wasting away in this prison back here, but I'm important, and I can tell you some really incredible things. I can tell you what's going to happen. Joseph doesn't do any of that kind of stuff. No. Very clearly, he says, he knows in his mind, I may be thrown right back into prison after this, this interview with Pharaoh, but he needs to know that this is God doing this, and that there is a God in heaven that's guiding these things. And so he doesn't take God's glory for himself. And he says, there's seven years of great plenty, seven years of severe famine. And not only does he give Joseph the diagnosis, he gives him the cure. Joseph tells Pharaoh of the problem, but also gives him this God-inspired solution. That's huge. And look how it's received in verse 37. It says, and this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent... No one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphonat Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenat, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenat, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. From slave to master. From the prison to the palace all in a single day, all at once. What a stunning transition for Joseph. He probably woke up that morning, you know, at best sleeping on a mat in the corner of a prison cell to that evening being the, handed the keys to the most powerful kingdom in the world at that time, second in command over all of these things. He went from great poverty to great power he clearly knew this is God's hand at work in my life. Nothing else explains something that radical. Now, I don't want us, though, to overlook 
how God brought Joseph to this place. Okay? Some of you out here are optimists. You always see the bright side. Right? And, and you just tend to forget very quickly all the bad stuff that happens. And so for you, it's like, yeah, he left the land of Cain and ended up over Egypt. And it was great. Others of you are the flip side of that. You're the more pessimistic type. We won't ask for a show of hands or we won't ask for people to point to other people they know in the room, right? And for you, you're just still caught up on all the bad stuff. And you always see maybe not the bright side, but the dark side of what is there or the possibilities or the worst case scenarios. But I, I, I think that we, we do a disservice to Joseph's story if we ignore either side of it. We need to see the whole thing. We need to understand how God brought him to the place. All of those terrible experiences shaped Joseph. They shaped him. He wouldn't have been the same man without those events. He wouldn't have even ended up in Egypt if it wasn't for his brother's betrayal. The false accusations and years in prison humbled him. The hard work in serving Potiphar and the prison keeper taught him probably perseverance and patience. And during all of those hard years... God was cultivating a relationship with Joseph. That's important to note. God was cultivating a relationship with Joseph, even in the hard spots. Relationships take time. They take experience, shared experience. And by the time he stood before Pharaoh, the statement that Pharaoh made was absolutely true. When Pharaoh says, the spirit of God is within you. He recognized it. He had seen it because it was true. Now, I know we love the idea of just living in the palace and having all the power that that Joseph had. But we have to remember, even the greatest things of earth are temporary. And without the grounding of God and the perspective that only he can give us, the temporary things of earth crowd out our ability to hear him and know him. It was in the place of poverty and despair that Joseph came to know God. And that's a lot of times our story as well. It is those hard places, those places that we're always trying to avoid, the places we're trying to forget. A lot of times that's the place where we grow the most. Uh, The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, who was by all earthly standards incredibly successful. He was... um, a Pharisee of the Jews. He was well-respected. He was honored. He was well-educated. He lived in Jerusalem. Things were going well for him. But when he writes about this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 10, here's what he says about that former life. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This relationship with God isn't just for Joseph. That's what we have to see here when we look at this story. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and gave his life 
to open the way to, the, to relationship with the Father to any who would come and receive him in faith. And the Spirit of God that was in Joseph is the same Spirit of God that longs to be within you. That you would be the people within whom is the Spirit of God. And if you haven't devoted yourself to him, then the Spirit, the Bible tells us, is still with you because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is in the, in the world with humanity, convicting them of sin and righteousness and calling them to repentance. All right? So the Spirit of God is with you, but it's not until you choose to follow him in faith that the Spirit of God comes within you. That's the difference. And if that's you here today and you're still like, I don't know about the Spirit thing, um, the, the gap is, is there. It's about putting faith in him. And you can invite him into your life today. Now, for some of you Christians who find yourself in the land of affliction, as Joseph wraps that up there, he says, you know, God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Maybe right now you're in that place in life where you're in the land of affliction. Remember, God can make you fruitful still, just as he did with Joseph. He hasn't left you. He will not abandon you. Trust him and learn to hear his voice. Allow him to do the work that he wants to do. And we will trust that he will lead us through. If not here, in heaven and the life to come. Let's pray this morning. God, I do thank you for your word. I thank you so much for the life of Joseph and the things that he experienced. And Father, uh, this morning... I know that uh, many of us have, have felt like that we're stuck in the land of affliction. Everybody goes through times like that. And uh, sometimes, Lord, we feel like they don't ever want to go away, those times. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us know where we're at in all of that and that in it we would trust you. I pray, God, that you would make us fruitful. I pray that you would grow us even if that requires struggle and difficulty and pain. Lord, give us the courage to endure those things and stay close to you. Help us, Lord, in that. I pray today that if there are those that need comfort because they do feel that they are in the place of affliction, Lord, that you'd bring comfort to their souls. I know that there are some today that are, are struggling. Maybe it's with illness or sickness or disease. Maybe it's um, they're struggling with just a broken heart, just a, a sense of abandonment or loss. Those that are grieving the loss of others in their lives. Maybe it's financial ruin that they're experiencing or a difficulty with work and, and uh, being able to make a living and struggling in those ways. Lord, you, we have so many issues in life. But Lord, today I pray that you'd come near to each person and Lord I pray that if there are any here today that are calling out to you asking you to come into their lives and to put your spirit within them Lord I pray that you would do that thing here today that incredible miracle of new life of new birth that only happens when your spirit enters in to the willing heart and so Lord we pray that, that would happen we pray that Lord would happen on a regular basis 
here in our church. We pray, God, that you would bring uh, those who do not know Christ to come to know you here in this community. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the things that you're doing and the things that you're speaking and that we would um, fulfill that great commission to go and make disciples, that we would bring light to those in darkness, that we would bring home those who are lost. Help us do that. And as we go through um, this week ahead, Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities to share with others your goodness, your love, and your mercy. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.